0: Well, give your neighbor a high-five, tell him God loves you, and you may have a seat. Amen. And if you have a Bible, iPad, phone, GPS, whatever you got your uh, word on, let's chop off some devil's heads. Na, 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 na. You don't quite get it, do you? <laughs> this Bible's a weapon, right? There's an enemy out there that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This thing gives you power. So if you believe that, repeat after me. Say, this Bible has the power to change my life, to change my city. I can do what this Bible says I can do. I'll be a history maker and a world shaker. This Bible's a truth detector, a sin deflector, a faith inflator. I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read it later. If you believe that, give Jesus a shout and a hand clap. So I know I'm in the right place today. Amen. And I dug my old Bible out, the one that's kind of falling apart a little bit. I tell you, if you have a Bible that's falling apart, maybe your marriage won't be falling apart. But I noticed Steve and Karen Davis bought me this back in 97 when I lost my other one at the Brownville Revival. And it uh, brings back some memories. Amen? Today I'm going to talk to you a message entitled, Encouragement, It's So Easy a Caveman Could Do It. Talking about dealing with discouragement. So let's look at a story. First, I'm going to go to a couple verses here. Go to 1 Samuel 22. Hold that spot. And then we're going to go to 1 Samuel 30. We're going to talk about David when he was in the cave and how he dealt with it. Samuel 22, verse 1. David, therefore, departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. Now First Samuel thirty one 1 through 6. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, burned it with fire, had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was. Burned with fire, their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Let's pray. Well I want to thank you for the opportunity to get in your word. And your word will go forth and not come back void, Lord. Your word will do what it's sent out to do. And I pray today it will encourage people. I pray your word will lift people up if they're in a pit. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll come and be able to communicate somehow through me to every age, every person. Right where they're at in their walk with you. And Lord, just help me stay out of the way that you can communicate this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking about discouragement. You know, there were two buffaloes standing on the range when a passing tourist went by. And he said, man, those are the mangiest, scroungiest, most moth-eaten, miserable beasts I've ever seen. And so the one buffalo turned to the other and said, I think I just heard a discouraging word. You're going to have to explain that to your name. I'm going to give you about 20 seconds. I'm not going to give you ready-to-eat jokes. They're going to be kind of microwave. You're going to have to let them simmer a little bit. Home on the range, that's a little clue. Okay. First of all, we all deal with discouragement. We need to recognize discouragement is a tool that the enemy uses to pry into your heart and be able to do some things to just stop the work of God in your lives and in the church. You know, there was rumor and legend has it that uh, the enemy was trying to raise some funds and had a garage sale. And at this garage sale, he had his tool of pride, and he had a price tag on it, and he was very proud of it. And he had the, the... tool of arrogance, and the tool of laziness, and all these had price tags. But he came to this one tool, and it didn't have a price tag. He said, I just can't sell that one. It's too valuable. With it, I can pry into the hearts of men and women of God, and, and just do all kinds of damage. And it was the tool of discouragement. And another story, this kind of the same line, where the enemy was Taking somebody on a tour, showing him all his arsenal, all his weapons. And he was showing him the weapon of arrogance and laziness and envy and deceit and immorality, jealousy, addiction, hatred, all these powerful weapons he uses. And then the guy noticed something. He said, you know, none of those weapons have handles. And he asked Satan, he said, why is that? And Satan took him to this little chest and he opened it up and he pulled out. He said, this is the handle that works on all the weapons. It's called discouragement. I'm telling you, you need to be aware what the enemy does with discouragement and what he can do in your life. Now, I read 1 Samuel 22 about those men being in a cave. And to get a little better perspective and better understanding, I want you to think back to the year 2005, the New Orleans Superdome, right after Hurricane Katrina. Now, you take that picture of 20,000 bodies packed in a dark cavernous space day after day, so many people in a small space for so long, and it equaled a sickening stench of order, bathrooms backing up, garbage that was there too long, water that was dirty, unrefrigerated food, and then the humidity produced this probably horrible fog and stench. Now go back 3,000 years to a similar, similar scene, put 400 men in a cave all at the same time. Add heat, time, the attending conditions that come about in a cave, and multiply that by the fact that these men were all under duress because they were being chased down. And I mean, Saul was trying to chase David down and kill him. Now maybe you have some of the sights and smells of 1 Samuel 22. Now as we go into the harsh conditions of the cave of Adullam, uh, maybe we can start to see the emotional, physical furnace of affliction and, and uh, the adversity that David the caveman was going through during this time in his life. And if you really want to get some depth into what was going on, there's two psalms that David wrote in the midst of this situation while he was in the cave with all the discontented and all the people in debt and all those uh, situations going on, and it was Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. Follow along in verse one of chapter 57 in the book of Psalm. It says, "For the choir director." A psalm of David regarding the time he fled from Saul and went into the cave to be sung to the tune of Do Not Destroy. So he's taken an old tune and he's going to write a new song to it based on these experiences. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until this violent storm is past. I cry out to the God Most High, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to save me, rescuing me from those who are out to get me. My God will send forth His unfailing love and faithfulness. I am surrounded by fierce lions who greatly devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May Your glory shine over all the earth. May my enemies that have set a trap for me, and I am weary from distress, they have dug a deep pit in my path, for they themselves have fallen into it. My heart is confident in you, O God. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, O my soul. Wake up, O harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, in front of all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. I could read Psalm 142 also, but I'm just going to, it's in the notes. If you want to download them on one of our apps or our website, you can get them. But I want to declare something. Prophetically, this church is at a next level moment. We're at a next level moment. You individually are at a next level moment. Our city is our nation. But I mean, specifically, right now in this hour, our church, I mean, there's great growth. But what are we going to do with that? And what's going to happen with what's going on in your life and situations going on right now? And I know some of you are experiencing Discouragement. First of all, remember, when it's time to go to the next level, there's an enemy out there that wants to stop you. He doesn't want you to go to that next level at all. And so he's going to try to do all he can to try to stop you. And what is his main weapon of choice? Discouragement. Discouragement. And so he's going to try to stop you. And I know some of you are experiencing it right now. I know if you're not, you probably will be. And why do I say that? Because I've experienced it about a couple weeks ago. I felt it right through the weekend service and coming out of that service, and it usually comes from the top and flows down. And what I did, I mean, Pastor John said something. It just—it wasn't a bad thing, but it just the timing and everything was going on. Just kind of, uh, just kind of got discouraged. And so I carried it a few days, and I finally decided to talk with him about it. So I basically handed it to him, and I felt better. And I saw he was discouraged for about four days. So it was not really the proper way to handle it. Was kind of like here, you—you you carried a while. But I'm telling you, there's a spirit out there. The enemy wants to hinder you. He wants to discourage you. Now, what does it take to go to the next level? First of all, it takes faith. Only believe. You've got to believe that God wants you to go to the next level, that he can get you to the next level. And it's not comfortable staying at the same level. So it's worth moving on to that next level. And your faith is kind of like a hot air balloon. First of all, for the hot air to balloon to go higher, your faith to go higher, you need to drop off some weights. Some of those sins that so easily entangle us. And some of those things that you think you're getting some peace and you're leaning on uh, that are not good, I mean, they're not worth it. It's worth getting rid of right now in this hour to get to that next level. It's worth going to the next level. It'll cost you not to go to the next level, matter of fact. And the other thing you do to get that balloon to go up, you add some heat to it. And then it'll begin to go rise a little more. And what's the fuel that we need in the Spirit to produce the heat for our faith? It's the Word of God. It's the Word that have produced the fuel. It's, this is it. It's the Word that's going to get you to that next level because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So you need to get that Word in you. And some of you in this room are not walking with God. Now, I can say that to the fact there's there's probably some people in here that don't have a relationship with the Lord. See, I'm not talking about religion. I had about 30 years of that, and when somebody asked me the question, if I died today, would I go to heaven or would I go to hell? I would have, didn't have an answer for him. I thought, well, maybe i do more good than bad. Maybe I can talk my way in. And that's when he shared I had to individually, personally invite Christ into my life and make him Lord of my life. And, but I believe there's people in here that are Christians that are not walking with God. Now, how could you say that? Well, I, I kind of go back to verse 3 of chapter 3 in the book of Amos. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Can you walk with somebody if you're not in agreement? Can you take somebody's hand and just really walk and be in unity if you're not in agreement? So how can you take God's hand and say, I feel like giving up. I'm just going to quit. You know, that's it. I can't take it anymore. When God's saying you're more than a conqueror, that he didn't teach you to swim to let you drown. He didn't bring you out this far to let you go back again. He's for you, not against you. And so that's what I'm talking about. We've got to agree with God's Word. We can't always agree with our feelings. We're always going to have those feelings. We're always going to be in that cave at times. But what are you going to do with it? And that's where we're going to get a little deeper with David and and how he responded to that. But let's talk about the attack of the enemy. The book of Joshua is a picture of of natural battles. But they are a picture to us of the spiritual battles. How many believe there's an enemy out there that comes to steal, kill, and destroy? There really is a devil. His name's Satan. And he hates your guts. You know, there was two kids that come out of a Sunday school class where they were having a little lesson on Satan and the devil and, and about him and, and that he was real. And, and they come out of the Sunday school class and they're walking along and that one little boy looked at the other one and said, do you really think Satan's real? And the other kid kind of thought a minute, you know, it's probably going to end up like Santa Claus. He'll end up being my dad. That's just a joke. Okay, just, just in case you wanted to know. Don't look at your dad right now. But Joshua 10, 1 through 5. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard about Joshua, how he had taken Ai and utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty. Then he lists the five kings in these different countries. And in verse 4 he says... Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmoth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up. And they all and their armies and camped before Gideon and Gibeon and made war against it. Now Joshua just had a great victory. He'd captured Ai and, you know, he went to the walls of Jericho, all that stuff. Some great victories. Getting ready to go to another level getting ready to take some more ground back from the enemy that really wasn't the enemy's. That was rightfully Joshua's. Okay? And now look in verse 5. It said, The five kings of the Amorites teamed up to stop him. Each one of those five kings and and the area they were over represent an area that the enemy attacks you and tries to break you down in. First of all, it was the king of Jerusalem. Jerusalem means peace. The enemy doesn't want you to have peace. Peace. He does not want you to sleep at night. He wants you to worry about every little detail and every little thing going on. And he wants to destroy the peace of God in your life. But you know, peace is a powerful weapon. The Bible says, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So don't let him take your peace. And then Hebron, the king of Hebron. Hebron means allied or coupled. That means he wants to come against relationships he don't want he doesn't want churches to come into unity he doesn't want families to be in unity he wants to divide marriages husband against wife with divorce and division he wants to come against relationships now Jarmath king of Jarmath Jarmath translates seeing he wants to come against your future he doesn't want you to see your potential he wants to say, you're never going to mount anything. You're never going to be able to do it. Yeah, you might have graduated from red water, but what can you do after that? Whatever he's telling you. He wants to come against your future. Lackish, king of Lachish, it translates who walks. One who walks. The enemy wants to mess up your walk. Catch this one. First of all, he wants to mess it up physically. He just wants to attack you physically because if you physically can't walk, if you have an ailment, it's hard to fight. It's hard to stay strong. And so he's going to come at you physically. But I think even more, he wants to come at your spiritual walk. And I know this for a fact because here's what happened Wednesday night. I encourage you to come out on Wednesday nights. It's just kind of a night of worship and praise and ministry and, and just the presence of God being real strong, no agenda, just getting in the presence of the Lord and hearing what He says. But somebody came up to my wife and I and said we had this, and there was this husband and wife, and she said we had a dream, and you were in it. And we got bit by, I got, the lady said, I got bit by a snake in my right ankle. And then all of a sudden I was with, like I had a doctor's outfit and my wife was kind of a nurse and she came to us for help and and I guess must have been able to help for some reason and then she looks beyond us and sees this big snake and she just looked at it and it left. And so I said, okay, so we prayed about that and then I no more than walked away from them, they stepped off to the side and I turned this way and a lady's waiting for me and she was no part of this other conversation, and she looks at me. She said, I had this dream, that this snake wrapped around my right ankle. I said, okay, this is interesting. So I get the other couple, go over there, team up, pray together. And she said, I really felt like it was affecting my walk. And I said, well, first of all, let's ask the Lord right now. And I just said, ask him, is there anything hindering, anything you, know, you need to get rid of in your life? And so I just told her out loud, ask and just be quiet. You know, God wants to communicate with you. My, my challenge is, I mean, I have a prayer time, but my hard time is just to shut up and listen. But he wants to communicate. This is not some spooky, weird thing. He wants to communicate. And there's three thoughts going on in your mind. There's three voices. It's either God's, the enemy's, or yours. The more time you spend with God, the more you'll discern or recognize his voice. If my wife calls me, I know who it is. I better know who it is. You spend time with God in His Word, you spend time in prayer, you'll begin to discern those voices and which one's God. And so, He wants to come against your walk and try to trip you up. And again, discouragement's a great thing. And fear and all those things. And so recognize what the enemy's trying to do. Now, the other king, the king of Eglon, it translates fat or heifer. It represents abundance, prosperity. He wants to stop the flow of finances in your life. I mean, a lot of marriages go down the tubes. Why? Because of finances. I mean, it's one of those big things right up there that affect us all that we have to deal with daily. That's why it's so important to put God first in your finances. I mean, be a tither. Be a giver. I mean, God will bless you. But the enemy wants to attack your family, your finances, your future, your peace, physically, faith. Now, I want you to think these are five kings of the Amorites. Say, Amorites. I want to talk about an Amorite spirit. Now we kind of know, you know, somewhat a lot in this room have heard about a Jezebel spirit. Kind of one of those seducing spirits works in men and women and kind of subtle comes in and wants to take control. But this Amorite spirit, very vocal. First of all, Amorite means mountain people or renowned. And since mountains refer to these tall masses that tower over valleys, we can infer that an Amorite spirit is a spirit of self-exaltation. Okay? And the word... Amorite in the Hebrew comes from the word Amar, A-M-A-R, which translates to say or to utter. That means this implies people with Amorite spirits are people who want their names uttered or mentioned. Okay, they're fame seekers. They're seekers of human glory and greatness, and practically all dictators have this spirit. Saddam Hussein, Fidel Castro, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin They like to dominate and control people They love to see their pictures all over the cities, all over the countries They like people to worship them So these are the kind of people that have hearts that are possessed by Amorite spirits And just as mountains tend to dominate over landscape Amorite people want to dominate and rule over people And they want to give you this this impression that they're immovable there are these big immovable things that you can't get past. But listen to what Jesus, how he deals with them. Matthew 21, 21. There's several accounts of this in different gospels. In one gospel, the disciples couldn't cast out a demon, and Jesus addressed and, and uses this same verbiage. He says, "Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has done to this fig tree. Remember he cursed the fig tree because it wasn't producing. I mean spiritually, when there's things in your body that are like cancer and things, tumors, you need to curse those things in the name of Jesus and command them to dry up like this fig tree. See, these are spiritual applications. And then he goes on to say to this you say to this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea, it'll be done. I don't know of any account where Jesus physically cast a mountain into the sea. He's talking about spiritual things. And a lot of times as pastors we say, well, you can cast those problems into the sea. But we're talking about some spiritual warfare here, okay? And sometimes if we take all that faith we have trying to get something from God and take that faith and apply it to those principalities and powers that are standing in the way from getting something from God. And just one example here. I mean, in this body, there is a, a physical attack through cancer. That's, I mean, in our city, in our, I mean, our pastor's wife has cancer. Other people in our church are struggling with things. And sometimes you can get this thought like, well, God, why don't you heal her? You know, God, why, why you know, don't you want to? Well, first of all, I think what happened on that cross was enough. To pay for it? Does he need to do anything else but hang on a cross, be whipped to the point that the Bible says he was undistinguishable as a person, his organs exposed after the cat of nine tails ripped the the skin off of his back? I think that was enough. By his stripes, we were healed 2,000 years ago. God's name is Healer, that's his nature. Jehovah the Healer. And so I don't think it's a problem of God wanting to do this, but we got to remember there is spiritual opposition. There are demonic forces, powers and principalities that hinder our prayers. And we've got to begin to join as a church like never before and begin to ask, well, what are these powers? How do we stand against them? How do we fight them? And to see that breakthrough in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, let's just stop for a moment. I felt this earlier, and I'm just going to go back to it. I felt there were some people here that have problems with their eyes. And I don't believe God would give that to me unless he wants to do something about it. And in the other service, I felt people with problem with their backs and somebody with a left knee. And so if any of that problem, you got problem with your eyes, problem with your back or your left knee, just stand for a second. And we're just going to pray and just see what the Lord does. We'll just believe in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen and if you just stretch your hands Lord Father we just declare in Jesus name if there's something in your body that's not supposed to be there we curse it in the name of Jesus Lord we just pray their backs line up they be healed hips go back in place Lord knees ligaments Lord be healed and Lord anybody else in this room that has an ailment right now if they just put their hand on it represent it Lord I ask you to come and heal and touch it's your desire and we stand against every spirit that would hinder this and command it to be gone in the name of Jesus we just cast it into the sea right now and we release healing to come to the body of Christ in Jesus name amen if you believe God can do that you give him a hand clap <laughs> nothing I'm saying or doing is what he can do amen but we got to remember we're here to take back ground for the enemy we're in a spiritual battle and we need to listen to our commander in chief and take back some ground because he said this he said as far as moving these big mountains spiritual mountains he said it all, in the other gospel he said it only takes faith the size of what a mustard seed that little mustard seed of faith has kingdom potential in it to literally move mountains. Amen? Amen? And don't let any Amorite spirit take place in your heart. Even if they go by the name of pastor, prophet, apostle, bishop, reverend, pope. Just something to think about. John 13, 38. Let's kind of reveal this thing a little more. This is where G- Peter's getting ready to deny Jesus. But he said, man, I'll die for you too. And, P- and jo- Jesus answered... In verse 38 to 13, John, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly. I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, why would the Lord use a rooster to bring out this thing about Peter? Well, first of all, you look at roosters and their behavior. They dominate over their harem. Okay? They're female chickens. A rooster can get very jealous, very aggressive, and they'll fight against any intruding rooster that wants to drive away any of its girls. I mean, they're going to be aggressive when it comes to somebody trying to take their territory. So they're very territorial. And that's the way Amorite spirits are. They're very territorial spirits. They want to dominate over souls and numbers of people, kind of count them as their trophies. That's why a rooster kind of exhibits pretty well what an Amorite spirit is. And when we look at chapter 18 in the book of John, when Jesus was arrested, getting ready to be beaten and crucified, this is a kind of a picture where these Amorite spirits were kind of crowing and acting like roosters and kind of puffing themselves up and thinking they had the battle won. John 18, verse 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside and the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, are you not also one of those, this man's disciples, are you? Peter said, I am not, denied him. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Now notice this first time Peter, his denial, was inside the high priest's palace. Peter had just entered the rooster's territory. Annas the high priest was an Amorite, and one of his subjects, a servant girl, begins to call him out. And in spiritual terms, this is what she is saying to Peter. She's saying, Chicken, what rooster do you belong to? You belong to that rooster Jesus of Nazareth, don't you? And then she says, hey, I want you to look at my rooster and what he's doing to your rooster. So she's calling him out. Now verse 18 emphasizes, it says, The servants and the officers, of all of them were subject to this Amorite priest. They're around this coal of fires warming themselves. That, that, that signifies the covering and protection that this Amorite spirit's trying to offer them. So basically now they're saying to, to uh, Peter, hey, without me... You'll be out in the cold. Come and put yourself under our protection. Give us your unconditional loyalty. We'll take care of you. Just throw your apostolic calling into the fire like everybody else around here has, and it'll kind of stoke up that fire for us. So Peter threw his apostolic anointing into that fire. Why apostolic? Because this happened at the gate. Gates, doors represent judgment. And then it goes on, verse 24. And Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. These Spirits are teaming up. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore he said to them, Are you not also one of the disciples? Are you? And he denied it a second time. He said, I'm not. Then one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off. Do you remember that story? It was Malchus. I mean, Peter, probably pretty strong dude, Pretty, I would think fairly accurate with the sword. I mean, he hacks this guy's ear off. His right ear represents authority. And why? I mean, he could have just hit him, and he, if he's just blindly doing it, could have caught his head, his shoulder, his cut his throat. But no, his ear. It was like Peter was recognize that Amorite spirit and say, "Hey, you don't need to be listening to that spirit of your that you're listening to. You need whack, cut off that ear. You need to listen to the high priest, the real rooster, Jesus Christ, whom you can't see, who is Lord of all." And so it was kind of a challenge there. But look what happens. He denies it. He said, didn't I not see you in the garden with him? The end of verse 26 and verse 27. Peter denied again. Immediately a rooster crowed. As this happened, the chickens of Caiaphas, the rooster, they got on Peter's case again. They're basically saying, hey, you chicken and what rooster? And what happens then? He'd already thrown his apostolic anointing in. Now he throws his prophetic anointing in and his evangelistic anointing into the fire. Now, if that went over you, here's what I want you to catch. What does the enemy want from you? He wants your anointing. He wants the calling of God on your life. He wants you to sit down and shut up and not do anything for the kingdom of God. You know, you're all called to be ministers. A minister is just a servant. A lot of times we look at the pulpit, well, we pay you to get the work done. You go save them. No, the Bible says in Ephesians that the pastors, the evangelists, the prophets, we're here to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Say, God has a ministry for me. Say that. It could be serving. It could be blessing people financially. It could be whatever it is. God has something for you to do, and it's time to find out what that is. That's why he attacks your family. That's why he attacks your relationships and your finances and your health and your future and your faith and your peace. He wants you to throw your anointing into the fire. And when you don't do what you're called to do, when you don't do what you're anointed to to do, then you're going to be in bondage. It's going to be like you're handcuffed, like you're paralyzed and can't move. So what do you do? Isaiah 10, 27. The end of that says, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. And a lot of times we'll go to anointed people and have them pray for us, and that's great. But I want to tell you, when you start doing what God's called you to do, the anointing that begins to move through you breaks the yokes off of you. It'll break them off. And so you're kind of caught, well, I don't really feel like it. I'm kind of discouraged. But, man, you just have to step out by faith because it's not you that's going to do it anyhow. It's God. I mean, if you've ever prayed for somebody, I mean, just try to make this as simple as you can where you felt God move through you. If you've ever just prayed for somebody and you begin to pray and realize that pretty soon things come out of your mouth that aren't you, that's not you. You realize, I couldn't have thought of that or said that. And it's an opportunity for God to move through you. Sometimes just blessing or helping somebody fix something or, or give them some financial, you kind of feel good because you've allowed God to move through. Because God wants to bless people. He wants to touch and heal people. And you're anointed, according to Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me. Say, He's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. When you do what you're anointed to do, the yokes and the burdens will be broken off of you. Now let's go and finish up with two stories. The one is Joshua 10, and see how that battle turned out with those kings. And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings have been found hidden in the cave of Makedah. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave. Bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so, and brought out the five kings to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmoth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon. And so it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captives of the men of war who went with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Why don't we do that right now? If there's something that's harassing you, something that you feel like the enemy's been doing, I want you to lift up your foot and put it un, put him that neck of him right under there. If it's some physical ailment, I mean sickness, I mean put the enemy right under your feet right now as I declare the words of Joshua to you. As they drew near, they put their feet on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Be strong and be of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterwards Joshua struck them, killed them, hung them in five trees, and they were hanging on the trees till evening. And then it was evening, he took them down, said, throw them in that cave and roll a stone up against it. Now, would you rather have your enemies in the cave or you be in the cave? It's going to depend how you respond when you're in the cave, because we're all going to be in the cave at some point. But how are you going to respond? And so, why don't we look at David, the real caveman, and see so how he responded again at the end of this? And as I go there, I want you to think a minute. There's one other story. The disciples were fishing, discouraged, toiled all night, didn't catch a thing. And Jesus says, I want you to toss that same old net in the same old place and see what happens. And a boat net breaking haul comes in. You know what? We always think that, hey, if I could just. Go somewhere else. If I could just be somebody else right now, I'm kind of discouraged. If I could just be with somebody else, be in a different situation, then maybe I wouldn't be so discouraged. Maybe faith would arise. But you know what? It's going to be the same old net in the same old pond for most of us. The old temptations we've got to overcome, the old faults that got to be conquered, the old trials the discouragement and things we failed at yesterday, we've got to face today. And if we're going to be victorious, we need to win the battle right here, right where we're at. And guess what? you got somebody beside you. Jesus. He's saying, you can do it. Don't give up. Don't get weary. I'm going to bring you through this. If you don't faint, and give up. Because if you don't deal with discouragement, it's going to deal with you. Now, here's what David did. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. Now, David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The word strengthened in the Hebrew is the word hazak. You'll see it on the screen. You don't pronounce the C and the H. You've got to come from the back of your throat real deep. Hazak. Say to your neighbor, hazak. Hazak. How you doing, buddy? Good to see you. But David hazak himself in the Lord he ministered to those with him in the cave and he ministered to the Lord I mean some of you could be in the situation at Red, at Red River and thinking you're going to lose your job possibly lost your job I mean you could be in a cave situation but I'm telling you you need to minister to those people you're with that don't have hope you need to minister to the Lord and declare hey the Lord is your source not our government or whoever you're working for now David realizes he has to inquire of the Lord Okay? Sometimes we'll ask everybody else. But you know what? Have you allowed the one that is resident in you to be president in you? Samuel 30, verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. That's the way they'd hear from God. They'd use this. And Abi- Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered, Pursue, you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Verse 17, up to what happened here. Then David attacked them from twilight until evening of the next day. That's a whole other message in itself. I mean, he asked the sun to stop and stand still. And there's a whole other thing, how we were missing a day, and how God made it up this time, and, and it's a whole... Exciting deal. But said, not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all the Amalekites had carried away. David rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. You know, the enemy can take some of your stuff, but if you respond properly, he cannot destroy it. You really catch that. It's based on our response, how we respond. You can pursue, you can overtake, and you can recover all. You know, there was a battle in 1801, the Battle of Copenhagen. And there was a a man by the name of Lord Horatio Nelson fighting in this Battle of Copenhagen. Now, the senior officer, the admiral, was Sir Hyde Pyle, known as Old Vinegar. And he was on his ship, and he saw they were being defeated. So he hoisted up the retreat flag. But Lord Horatio Nelson puts the telescope up to his blind eye and said, I don't see anything and continues to attack. See, if he had surrendered to defeat, he wouldn't have captured the 12 Danish ships and turned that war around. And I want to declare to you, I don't see defeat, do you? And I'm telling you, when you're fighting the battle of perspective, Satan is hoisting up his flag, trying to discourage you. You better remember to put that telescope up to your blind eye and declare, I don't see no retreat flag. I'm moving forward. I will pursue, overtake, and get all back. Amen? Now, we're going to practice some hazak here, okay? Worship team's coming up. We're going to worship for a minute. And you encourage yourself in the Lord And see what happens And you just let this be practice For the times you get in that cave Okay And I don't care if you sit or stand But I want us to just sing to the Lord right now Let Him hear your voice In death In life I'm confident And covered by the power Of your great love.